you look for uh, as a veteran, even from some of your teammates, maybe some of the younger teammates, uh, when it gets to that level and the physicality gets ratcheted up a little bit? I don't even know what you're asking me. I'm expecting football. So I'm expecting to get hit. I'm expecting to hit a few people. Yeah, I'm expecting to play football. Cofield and Company NFL insider Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk joins us now. Ari just telling us during the break that uh, he thought Vinny's question was pretty good. Brandon Bolden's kind of a no-nonsense guy. He's there to get things done and and move along. He's one of the newest Raiders. He's going to be in that backfield mix. And, you know, it's funny with Harrison Sanford, who we just talked to, he mentioned trying to win fantasy football this year. Don't draft Raiders running backs. Unless, like, it's later in the season and you need depth and then you can roll the dice and maybe get the starter right and who's going to get 18 touches in a game because I don't think that's going to happen very often. Football Insider, Pro Football Talk. Miles Simmons is up with Cofield and Company. Miles, how you doing? I'm doing well, gentlemen. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, I actually remembered you were on this week. So, uh, <laughs> again, to yeah. pull back the curtain, uh, even uh, Ari, who already uh, dropped an F-bomb on me during a break, uh, even he didn't know I had booked you for last Thursday. Friday came around, and I was like, yeah, we didn't talk to Miles. Hmm. Oops. Oops. Yeah, I mean, I kind of did the same thing. I woke up Friday morning and I saw something. It was like a tweet from Adam or something, or maybe you. I don't know. And I was like, oh, was I supposed to be on yesterday? Oh, well. See how they do you, Miles? I know. It's too bad. Eh, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we don't do our homework. <laughs> if I make the cheesy transition. Come on oh, now. There's a, is... a broadcasting pro. Miles, what is going on here? I mean, I think what's going on here is that they've had some trouble with Kyler Murray, but... This is something like we've never seen before with the Kyler Murray homework clause. Make sure you're working four hours out of your time each week to study up, brother. You know, the weird thing about this to me, and I was saying this to some buddies yesterday, like four hours is just such a small amount of time. Like for independent study, quote, unquote, like Aaron Donald, for instance, could get four hours of independent study done in one day. And he's a defensive lineman. So, like, what are we doing here? Like, it's, to me, there's obviously some concern within the Cardinals organization about Kyler Murray and the way he studies, the way he watches film or doesn't watch film. I mean, he had a quote to the New York Times last year uh, at some point, and I think it was in last December, I can't quite remember, but the story about that is actually up at profootballtalk.com right now if you want to go read it. But he literally said, now, I don't really consider myself to be some sort of film nut. I'm not going to kill myself watching film. And it's like, well, dude, like the great ones, the best quarterbacks, that's what they do. Because you have to be extremely overprepared in order to be the best quarterback you can be. And I, I, I've, I've never really heard of a quarterback saying something like that. And I think that's why, you know, A, we saw those reports coming out of uh, Arizona in February. And I think it was like the day before the Super Bowl, the day of the Super Bowl, whatever it was. And it seemed like it was just this grand hit piece on Kyler Murray where it's like he's immature. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. Well, when you put something like this in the contract and then the player signs it, it kind of gives credence to all of those things that seem sort of way out of left field before. Miles, part of the clause is also that with no distractions where no TV, no video yeah. games, no phones, who who's monitoring those four hours? 
Well, that's a great question. I mean, the thing that, that teams can do, and I don't know how widely this is known, but teams can monitor how you are using the iPad and whether or not you are actually going through things and watching it. I mean, like, you know, I think we've all heard of the stories where in the olden days, let's call it from like 10, 15 years ago, where thing, film was still on DVDs, right? And, you know, whether it was Jamarcus Russell, where they gave him, you know, a blank DVD or a DVD of some adult film content and then asked him the next day if he watched it. And he's like, yeah, I did. And it's like, no, you obviously didn't because that's not what, you know, we gave you, right? It, there's still a sort of monitoring that can come in and take place. But if you're talking about independent study, like that would, I would assume, be within the team facility. And A, there are cameras in team facilities. And B, there's other stuff. Like your IT professionals can tell what's going on in a certain room at a certain time on a certain device. So, you know, I, I hope that they would still let them listen to music because I feel like I... <laughs> concentrate well, a little bit better when I'm listening to music and watching stuff and like film or whatever, but like there are ways to monitor that. So to me this. though, independent study, then that phrase, if so, cause if it, if it's in the facility, okay, it's like, okay, you're, you have to go to study hall. It's not really independent because you're still under the control of being in the building. To me, I read it. I'm thinking independent study means on your own, you need to take the time to do this and you just got to be. I mean, the, so I. I mean, I agree with you. It's got to be. It's. It. In this case, it would have to be in the facility, so they can monitor. Because it's one thing that you can monitor someone's iPad, but you can't monitor if their phone's going off, their TV's going off, if they're playing video game, whatever it is that he's doing. So it, right. it would have to be in the facility where they can monitor, which take sort of takes away independent. Yes, but no. I mean, I'll put it this way, Willie. I mean, when I have covered teams on a day to day basis. One of the things that's always stood out to me, and I remember this specifically with Jared Goff, like I would be one, usually one of the last to leave the, the team facility every night because, you know, you're writing, you're editing, you're doing this, you're doing that. But Jared Goff's car would always be in the parking lot when I was leaving. So what does that mean? Well, he's in there and he's doing what he needs to do. He's watching film, right? All Most of the other players' cars are gone. But his isn't because he's doing what he needs to do in order to be the best quarterback he can be. And so I think when you're talking about independent study or whatnot, that's more or less what they need. You know, are you watching film on your own in the team facility? Because guys, I, and I don't blame them for this. You want to keep all of that at the team facility. So when you go home, you can just be you. And you've gotten your work done, so you can play video games, right. you can, you know, watch TV or do whatever. But yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying, but it, it's still something that you have to kind of take the initiative to do because it's not a mandatory, you know, team meeting or not a mandatory positional meeting, if that makes sense. Well, some Raiders that have vowed to get the work done in the facility that were made available during the first week of training camp. Denzel Perryman, Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, all three spoke last week. All three said they're content without contract guarantees right now. They're just looking to learn the new system, look forward to the season, and they're letting their agents handle the rest. Your thoughts? Uh, I think it makes sense for all of them. I mean, the only one where I would be like, if somebody were to stage a hold in, you know, it would be Darren Waller. And I'd be like, yeah, dude, that makes a lot of sense because he's being paid like a mediocre tight end instead of one of the best tight ends in the league, which he's been since 2019. Right. You know, so 
yeah, I, I get why they're taking the approach that they're taking. I think it's good. I think it makes sense. You know, when you have a new coaching staff and also a, a new um, front office and, and Ziegler and he's running things now from GM position. But yeah, I look, Josh Jacobs, he's not going to get another lucrative contract from the Raiders. Like, I don't think I'm breaking any news or like talking out of turn. When I say that we all understand what Josh McDaniels likes to do with the running back position. And it's basically the polar opposite of what John Gruden likes to do with the running back position. So like that, that ship has pretty much sailed. Perryman, I think is more or less a wait and see kind of thing, you know? So if you're talking about those three guys, it's like, all right, yeah, there's something that's got to be on the horizon for Darren Waller. Otherwise, like, that just wouldn't make sense. And I don't think that would be fair to him and the way he's played over the last couple of years. Perryman, you're probably in more of a wait and see. I could see something get done with him over the course of the season, mid-season, whatnot. But Josh Jacobs, like, he's playing for the next team, probably, you know? And he can still be, I think, a bell cow back, but I just don't believe that that's what the Raiders now are going to be doing at that position going forward. Talking to Miles Simmons, pro football talk. Um, Joe Burrow is reportedly going to have his appendix removed. And my question is, I mean, I, unless he had it burst, I mean, 163 days after the Super Bowl and 18 days before the preseason opener. Did, was, did it, was this just a sudden emergency? I, I think that's the only way you take the appendix right? out, isn't it? Just something I mean, like, I'm not... I'm not a doctor, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn last night, but I do, I do remember uh, when I was a junior or senior in high school, one of our captains was a tight end at the time. I also think he played DE as well. He had to get his appendix out like during the beginning of camp, and we made fun of him because he's like, oh, you, you just wanted to get rid of – you wanted to stay out of two-a-days. So maybe they, uh, the Bengals will give him some razzing too. Like, bro, I see all the things that you're doing. You just don't want to participate in training camp, so – I don't know. I mean, but yeah, it must have been a pretty bad situation. I mean, I read stuff out of Cincinnati where they're saying he was feeling a lot of discomfort over the last couple of days, and it turns out this is it. So hopefully you'll be on the men pretty quick. Do you want to fade them? Their number actually is very manageable for wins on the season. It's, you know, for a Super Bowl participant, for it to be only nine and a half might surprise people. Only nine and a half wins going into the season. Yeah, I mean, like, I can see them getting ten wins. I, I see Baltimore winning that division. So... You know, whatever that means. And I saw something out of some place where it's like, oh, Cleveland's only going to win six games. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that, guys. Like, I think, listen, despite how we all may feel about Deshaun Watson and the Browns and making that trade and giving him all that guaranteed money, like, the Browns aren't just going to win six games. I'm sorry. Like, that's not, that's just not real. Uh, it's not. So they're actually a good football team. And a lot of their problems, I think, walked out the door. And now they're in, uh, you know, the Carolinas with a man named Baker Mayfield. So, uh, yeah, I, the Bengals, I think, should be good, but I don't know if they're going to be great. Their OL should be a lot better. Um, but, like, that division is going to be really competitive. I think the Steelers are going to be better than people think. And because of that, like, I I could see the Bengals going under 9.5, but I could also see them going over. So this is a bad radio answer. Uh, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned Deshaun Watson. What is Sue L. Robinson doing here? Come on, ma'am. We need She's... the news. We got to process this. Let's go. I... Yeah, uh, my guy Mike Florio wrote that today, basically. And it's like, well, you know. It's pretty complicated. I I will say, in her defense, do the job the right way because you're going to affect a lot of people's lives. So we don't have to I know there's been a lot of jokes, and Florio did it last week about the the Friday news dump. But let's make sure she gets it right and uh, no one comes out of this feeling they got screwed over. 
Right, exactly. I think that, you know, if she needs more time to craft what's going to be a very thorough report, then that's what needs to happen. Because no matter what the decision is, I think it needs to be explained thoroughly, uh, unlike the Washington investigation that we all saw last year, which was not explained thoroughly. And, you know, part of that is because Dan Snyder's uh, an owner and Deshaun Watson obviously is not. Um, but yeah, I, it really doesn't matter, I don't think, if the decision was rendered last Friday, this Friday, or next Friday, the Browns realize that Deshaun Watson's not going to be lining up week one against the Carolina Panthers. And if it, it so happens that she decides to impose no discipline, which I think is highly unlikely, then that's just a bonus, right? But I think at this point, the Browns know that Jacoby Brissett is going to be the one lining up against the Panthers in week one, and they're okay with it. So, you know, from a standpoint of we all want to know what's going to happen, yeah, it'd be nice to have it sooner, but I think from the Browns' standpoint, it's like, yeah, we understand what the situation is and whether or not, and Deshaun Watson's probably not going to be available, and if he is, then it's a bonus. So they know that they need to get Brissett ready to start, and I think at this point, you know, it's like, like you said, Steve, they, she needs to get the decision right and she needs to be able to explain it thoroughly. And we'll all find out when we find out. I think one of the most cringeworthy things that happens throughout the NFL season and the season has begun is Jerry Jones at press conferences. Oh, totally. It's, it's a nightmare. He shouldn't be there. He should be speaking every so often. And again, I don't want to be an ageist, but he comes out press conference today on Mike McCarthy, quote, I want to be real clear. He wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't believe he was the man to lead this team to a Super Bowl. And I have choices. Like, why? Why? Why Why does that need to be? You made your choice. He's back. Why fan the flames? Because Jerry Jones loves the Cowboys to be relevant. And yeah. I think from his standpoint, he was probably thinking, look, I'm going to say this and I'm going to be as definitive as I possibly can because McCarthy was out there yesterday, Monday, talking about how, you know, it's a non-story and it's a media-driven narrative. So, I mean, even though it's a media-driven narrative, when the owner feels like he's got to come out and say it in his opening statement within the first four minutes of his annual training camp press conference, I think that still gives it some credence. And as, again, Mike Florio, who I work with, pointed out, like, this is something that's going to keep being out there because Sean Payton was going to be the Cowboys coach just a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And as long as Sean Payton is still out there, and is, if the Cowboys, let's call it, get out to a bad start, right? They go two and four in the first six, or they're, you know, three and seven at some point. Like, dude, is the, the calls for Mike McCarthy's head are going to be unbelievable. That may happen even if they're 500 at the end of the year, which they can't be, but if they're, you know, one game over or one game under. So I just feel like even though they want to say it's a media-driven narrative, and Jerry Jones, I think his heart was probably in the right place and trying to give a full-throated uh, endorsement to Mike McCarthy, like, it's th this story's not going to go away. It's just not. It's a little later in the day for you guys because I, you know, I know you're you're waking up like first thing in the morning. You're writing often for the East Coast. Um, has someone been assigned Jerry Jones Midget Gate? 
I, so we, I didn't see, I hadn't turned on the press conference at that point, but I saw that he said that word, like, at some point during the, the press. I think the M word. Like, I say it for news value because you have to know yes, what it is. But no, Larry, Larry Lacewell uh, passed away, and he said, I'm going to get me somebody, a little person, to stand there with me, dress him up like Lace, and think Lace is still out there helping us. I, you know, I, I think my real Good question Lord. is here, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be ageist. But Jerry Jones is my parents' age, and, like, they're not as sharp as they used to be. You know, and you hope that at, like, 79, 80 years old, you're still super sharp. Like, I, I don't – I mean, the, believe me, this is a discussion, Miles, that can go way up the ladder, like, to our nation's leaders, right? Like, I, I just – like, what do you do when someone's old and you're like, yeah, you, we've kind of changed the vernacular. Don't use that word. Just tell them that, like yes. that, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I, it's funny. Like, Jerry Jones is younger than I thought because I thought he was already 88 as I'm looking at it right now. So, but he's not He's not uh, a young man anymore, which is part of the reason why the urgency is there for them to win a Super Bowl, right? And, like, it's not like Jones looks all that great either for somebody. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not take shots. You know, let's not, let's not all pile on. <laughs> You know, little people and Jerry Jones here. I, I am just saying that, like, you see what he looks like. I know. Man. I know. Not, I know. It, it is what it is. I'm not like trying to take shots. I, I think Jerry might, you know, be willing to say the same thing. He's not as young as he used to be, right? Yeah. So it's what it is. I don't know. And that's there are times when you know uh, Johnny Kraft and uh, and you know Stephen Jones probably need to sit down with their fathers and go, you know, the 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 public eye maybe not, you know, as much as you used to do. Maybe cut back a little right. bit. Yeah, and that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Kraft, you brought up him up. He's 81. Yep. I, you know, it's, it's time, it's time still, to step back a little bit, maybe. Still both uh, very spry, aggressive uh, older men, but that's another uh, issue for another day. Hell. Yes, Miles, we appreciate it. Football's back, baby! All right, so what are, what are we doing here? What do we got ramped up on Peacock? Uh, I will be on uh, PFT Live on Friday this week, so that starts at 4 a.m., Pacific time, so if you I'll don't want to wake up for that, I'll be up. Okay, well, great. Will hey, Willie, check that thing out on Peacock. But even if you don't want to wake up for it, you can catch it streaming on Peacock throughout the day. Miles, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. Miles Simmons, Pro Football Talk. Follow him on Twitter at Miles A. Simmons. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. So a busy day today at Raiders training camp as they're uh, on the eve of putting the pads on. So everyone's going to be fired up tomorrow. And a lot of the discussion has been about the mix at the right tackle position and the two guard positions. And I keep, you know, I keep hearing, I got to get the pads on to see what the guys are really all about. They have a general idea of who, you know, on the depth chart is ahead of who else. They know the ones and twos, and there's probably going to be some shifting uh, throughout the season. Uh, the, the story here in the offseason is this star-studded offense with Carr and Devontae Adams and Renfro and Darren Waller, good running back core. If the O-line is a bottom seven O-line, then it's going to be a problem. They were right on the, the edge of that last year, and they made it work. But Brandon Parker came in along with Colton Miller, and Parker is probably – co-favorite to win the right tackle job if Al Leatherwood can't get the job done. But Parker's like, yeah, we fully recognize uh, because of who we are. We're not, you know, big name guys that there's some pressure on us here. And and oftentimes, yeah, we're, we're, we're the guys who actually get mocked on versus the stars. We kind of been a kind of the butt of jokes a little bit. So we kind of 
we, we all kind of have that chip on our shoulder anyway. A lot of us, you know, Andre being undrafted, John being third, Lester being undrafted, you know, uh, Colton kind of same thing as me, started out rough. We all kind of just trying to prove, you know, to be the best we can. Right. They're not big names. Management clearly has some confidence until they bring in someone else from outside that these guys can get the job done. I like what Parker said just on his own progress over the years that he had a tough time coming in and he still knows that he has things to improve on. For one, way too many penalties, uh, way too many false starts last year. I hurt my team in that way. Um, and with the new staff coming in, we have a lap every false start we have, which helps kind of straighten up, you know. Uh, and then a lot of a lot of holdings, a lot too many sacks, just and a lot of that stuff just finishing that last little bit. So that's what I've been trying to focus on, just finishing with better emphasis. There you go. So he knows he's got to get better to win the right tackle job, hold on to it, and force the team to kick Alex Leatherwood inside. And now there are more openings because – I think that the hope was Denzel Good was going to be available at some point this season. Right now, he's retired. I don't know if that means he can come back in the second half of the season. But for all these guys, Good has kind of been one of those rock dudes, you know, a veteran player you could lean on. It's always bittersweet, man. Uh, same thing with, like with him, with Richie. You know, they, those are kind of my OGs. You know, he came in midway through my rookie year, kind of stepped in at, you know, right guard when Gabe kind of went down. And kind of I leaned on him a little bit, kind of picking his brain. He, you know, went to war with me. And all these years he's been to war with me. He's been right by my side. So kind of like seeing your brother go. I understand we can't play this game forever. Eventually you have to transition. He just, you know, picked pick out a transition. I can't wait for these guys to shut everybody up. Because you know the one thing that nobody is giving anybody sort of a benefit of the doubt because they haven't seen anything yet? It's, they're automatically assuming that these guys – are as bad as they were last year. Did, has anybody ever heard the word improvement, like most improved players? Like, can't they have gotten better, or do we not? So basically, Raiders fans who are playing chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, when Denzel Good retires, Richie Incognito uh, retires, well, we're screwed, because you're basing it on last year. How, isn't there a possibility that they got better? There is. Okay. so There's a possibility we saw what they are. Yeah, I, don't, I don't believe that Josh McDaniels... And Ziegler would go into the season if they didn't believe these guys are going to improve. And there you go. I mean, they've they outside of drafting, you know, Dylan Parham and then what Thayer Munford. I mean, they, they really haven't added from no the outside. It's it's the same core backups that were here with Mayock and Gruden. And they went out and got Chandler Jones, Rock Yasin, and Devontae Adams. If they thought that they couldn't fix or improve or bolster those guys and make them better. They would have went and got, they would have got rid of them. They would have traded, they would have done something. Let's let's pause and and wait and see. <laughs> getting all worked up. I like it. It's getting fired up. I've been fired up since your opening statement, by oh, the way. What was that? That you but, lost to the Liz Campbell no, no, that she no, would not no, make no, it through the season. Your very opening statement because What was the opening statement? I'm almost I'm about one month shy from being here, one year official employee. I thought you've been here like 18 months. I, I tell people you've been here longer. Well, I have, but in a sense, yeah. since since you officially brought me on, and earlier you were like, "Well, well, we got to start off bad news, you know, because we're mopes." Well, not Willie, because you you always try not to pick on me. It's time now that you go ahead and just start. Oh, I'm giving you credit that you're one of the glass overflowing guys Optimistic on the guys. show. That's a good thing. Okay. It's a real good thing. How about we give away some tickets right now? Uh, Evo Championships. This is a fighting game tournament. It's going down at Mandalay Bay. Three-day event, August 5th to the 7th. We've got tickets for the finals, two of them. August 7th, Evo Championship Series, the Arena Finals. AXS.com is where you can get your tickets. 364-1100. Caller number 7. 
The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. In prison, dinner was always a big thing. We had a pasta course, and then we had a meat or a fish. Paulie did the prep work. He was doing a year for contempt, and he had this wonderful system for doing the garlic. He used a razor, and he used to slice it so thin that it used to liquefy in the pan with just a little oil. It's a very good system. Halfway point of Cofield and Company Fat Pack time. You hear a little more of Goodfellas and the prison scene, which I think a lot of people thought of yesterday when they found out that uh, Paul Sorvino, Paulie in Goodfellas, that he had passed away, and the slicing of the garlic oh. with the razor, but also the way the whole dinner was being put together, and the little discussion about too many onions Wait a minute, they're, in they're, the gravy, and uh, someone was going to make the steak, and then... Henry Hill, Ray Liotta comes in with wine and bread. It's one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. Like, you know, basically Liotta's like, you know, the rest of the prison is living like pigs. Yeah. Not the maid guys. Well, the great thing about that close-up scene when he's slivering the garlic, if you look close enough, his nails are manicured precisely and 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 polished. Like, is he getting manicures in there too? Because because probably were, they were perfectly done. His nails look done. like yours. They were perfectly done, and uh, yeah. And then he says, you know, don't put too many onions in the. I didn't put too many onions in the in the gravy, and yeah. And it, it's the narration. It just someone goes, brings in lobsters. Yes, yes. I got a on, whole crate of like main lobsters. It's fantastic, and and yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Henry Hill walks in, and he's got all the the bag full of everything with the scotch and Paul, you know. We got some scotch. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. The way he says it, right? It's red, white, uh, red and the white. Bring them both. So, yesterday was a. Uh, the thing is, I didn't watch. I didn't put it on first. Goodfellas. Yeah, no. I was dancing around a little bit in the living room. With the dog? What's going on? No, I no. was. I was. I, I was hitting. I was hitting some some popping moves. I was. You know. What? I was. I was. Okay, what's going on getting here? Some old locks. First of all, you have a bad knee, so don't. Don't do any of that. I don't. And, it's, and it's, whatever it's, you're it's, doing in studio right now, I'm yeah. not sure is what what's going on. Well, I did it for the live audience, but okay. um, you know, well, you know, because we had that voicemail, you know, not too long ago, that was left apparently, and uh, no idea what you're talking about. Anything that goes on on that morning show, I have no clue. It wasn't on the morning show. I didn't. Oh, okay. Somebody he just happened. To, Jared just happened to check a voicemail, and apparently someone left a message saying Willie used to be a good dancer at the Shark Club. So, you know what was on yesterday? On TCM, Turner Classic Movies, 5 o'clock, Breakin', 1984. Should I watch that? Well, it was ushered in a, an era of, you know, there was a, Ice-T is in that movie. Layla Rashawn's in that movie. Jean-Claude Van Damme was in that movie. All the backup dancers or Ice-T played a rapper in a lot of the battle scenes. Uh, um, Poppin' Taco, who just passed away, who was old school B-boy. One of the very first poppers. Poppin' Taco. Poppin' Taco was okay. his, yeah. Poppin' Taco or Poppin' Taco? Poppin' Taco. 
Not like not to be confused with the Choco Taco. No. No, Pop and Don't bring taco. that up again. It got very dark yesterday yeah. on the show. <laughs> anyway, uh, he was in he was he was he was um he was the rival of Ozone played by um Shabadoo uh Shabadoo and then there was Boogaloo Shrimp. Yeah, there were some there's some old school B boys that's ushered in sort of the the breakdance, and and it it was already you know back east, it had already been out there with with the, with the original um, B boys, but this sort of mainstreamed it and brought it out to the public. So that came on. I was alerted to this by someone on Twitter. They said, you know, I wonder what Willie thinks about this breaking. So I watched that first. And yes, it got me up a little bit. I was throwing some some moves a little bit here and there. I was gl- doing. Just be some, careful! Some you're not gliding. you're not young anymore. It's not the club. You're not enhanced like you used to be, where you don't feel pain. I'm going to drop some moves here on the next. Don't break. don't no. Yeah, you have another 90 minutes to I'm get gonna, through. We're trying to keep I'm, you I'm safe. Do some gliding. We already little, had uh, you know one old guy come in here and trip on the cord a couple of years ago. Now we can't have cords in the studio. We can't, we're, have, food. We're we can't a, have cords. We can't have food. I know we can't have anything. Can't we have? We can't have dancing. It's generally not this show that blows it. Trust me. But we have we have a lot of lumbering individuals. That's a good word to describe a lot of the builds. People lumber around the building. I don't. It's think a that struggle I, to move and walk. I don't think you that dancing I, is like way beyond the safety measures that are in. Wow. All of our guides. Huh. Well, anyway, yesterday went from breaking to Goodfellas. The breakdance era into the mafia. Coming up next, Sam Pagnotovich, gambling expert, is going to be in. He's very bullish on one NFC East team and hates another when it comes to betting. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Cofield & Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Nesson, betting expert, Fox Sports, Sam Paniotovich. All right, how was Hawaii? Hawaii was fantastic, buddy. Um, on the way out, did have some issues. Flew to Seattle. Flight was canceled, <laughs> Seattle to Hawaii. So not the greatest start in the world of the trip, but went to a luau on Sunday, pretty much hung out, partied, relaxed, all that jazz from Monday through Saturday. And going back to work on Monday was not fun. But <laughs> I will say this. The worst part of my vacation, and there were really only a couple things that I didn't like, for about three days on Nesson, Fox, Chicken Dinner, I'm talking about Julio Rodriguez to win the home run derby, right? And he's 10-11 to 1, goes off at 7-1, to and I'm getting direct messages in Hawaii after he loses in the final, in extra time, by the way, to Juan Soto. Well, you almost had it. Almost. Right. You know, like people are upset that I gave out an 11 to 1 shot who goes to the final and loses by what? Two home runs. You can never win with the people, Cofield. I know. It's ridiculous. And his performance was just completely outrageous. I mean, that was that was a good, that's a freaking really, really good pick. Were you uh, Maui? Is that where you went? Maui, yes, sir. Do you like, I was do there. You, are, you, are you an early morning person? Because uh, not to. Act like I'm some sort of a world traveler. I've been to Maui one time, and it closes down too early for us. You know what? I was actually just telling somebody that the yeah. other day because most of the spots, like if you're near all the resorts on the western side of Maui, listen to my bougie ass. If you're near yeah. all the resorts, yeah. most places close at 9 or 10. Yeah. It's a, it's like a 6A to 9P place. 
And I'm not a six eight and nine p vacation person. No, not normally. The other the other thing too is that you know I'm now living in Boston, so that's a six hour changeup. So the first couple days in Maui, I'm waking up at four in the morning. Oh wow! Well, think about it. It's ten o'clock in the morning in Boston, and the restaurants don't open for breakfast until six six thirty, and then at eight nine o'clock when usually I'm just roaring to go. Like that, I'm just starting my night at nine o'clock East Coast, or when I come see you guys in Vegas, we're out all night. You can't go anywhere in Maui after 10, 11 o'clock to get a drink. Sam Panjavich with us. All right, let's get back into We gave you a little time to warm up, right? Let's talk vacation. Now we get right back into the hardcore betting. Um, I wanted to mention a baseball point today. You saw the Goldschmidt and Arenado are now playing in Toronto today and tomorrow because of the, uh, the Vax rule. They can't get into Canada. Did you try to jump on this one way or the other? No, to be honest with you, I've been writing a story for Fox about the New York Giants, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little oh, bit. Will. But no, I, I, I had not seen the news. Um, I, you know, this is going to be a very interesting postseason. Um, not to dodge what you're asking because I didn't capitalize one way or the other. But imagine if the Blue Jays, you know, make the American League playoffs, and we get to the ALCS, mm-hmm. and they're facing a team like the White Sox or the Yankees and it comes out that all of a sudden you know X Y and Z can't play in this postseason series or if Toronto hosts a World Series I don't think it's gonna happen (laughs) but there is a possibility where Toronto definitely gets a wild card spot gets through the first round faces a Yankee team that'll be off at that point for maybe five six seven days because remember now Steve the one and two in the new playoff format in baseball they get a bye so three plays six, four plays five, and then the one and two are going to have like a week off of no rhythm. So there's a very real scenario where a wild card team gets hot, goes to the ALCS World Series, and then if it's in Toronto, what if it's Toronto-St. Louis and we don't get Goldie and Arenado in the World Series? Well, you got two guys who are top five in war in all of baseball and are not playing in this series. Now that said, I bet the Cardinals. Now, of course, they're down 3-1 because I thought the reaction was – way too far towards the Blue Jays. It was a Berrios throwing today. He's got like a 5-2-2 ERA. I mean, I think the Cardinals can compete for a couple of days. And I was like, yeah, plus 185 in, you know, what is an even pitching matchup? So far, I'm on the wrong side of it. But I actually went against the grain and took the Cardinals. As well, I, it's As okay. I often do. You know that. It's a very finicky sport, man. We yeah. were standing on the set before I left for vacation. That was one of the games when the Royals announced right. that, what, 10 guys were out? Yeah. And, yeah, Willie, it's like I'm standing on the set. My co-host is like, there's no way the Blue Jays lose this game. I'm like, the hell there isn't. Yeah, and the Royals like, won. Yeah, Toronto was minus 425. <laughs> yeah. And my <laughs> argument was the minor leaguers might be better well, than Kansas gonna, City. And they're going to come out and play. Well, first of all, when you get that situation, they're going to come out to try to prove themselves. But on top of that, who's got a scouting report on these guys? Nobody's got a true scouting report. I don't care what anyone tells you. Unless you are a big-name guy that's doing a rehab assignment or whatever, those minor league reports, because half those guys, pitchers or hitters, they're working on one specific thing. Some hitters, hey, just go up there. We just want you to work on curveballs. And they're looking at everything else. Or whatever it is, you're not getting a true scouting report from the minor league. So those guys are going up there, and you're not going to know how to pitch to them, and they're going to be trying to prove a point. I was told a long time ago, boys, by Chris Andrews at the South Point, he said, look, it takes 53 54% to beat us long-term if you're laying 110. 
So if you're laying in baseball, 150, 180, $2, you have to win. I mean, if you're laying $2 a night, you got to win like 65% of your games to beat the books. So I look, there, there are so many, you know, pitfalls in baseball. Guys have rough starts, um, you know, like Shane McClanahan tonight, Tampa Bay, a Cy Young favorite. Tampa opens minus 155, minus 160. They get bet all the way to minus 190, minus 195. Yep. McClanahan hasn't started in 13 days. Yep. 13 days. Now, I know he took the ball in the All-Star game and went, what, one or two innings. But how are you going to lay 180, 190 on a guy who hasn't pitched six, seven innings in almost two weeks? With a team think- that's lost three in a row. And, and the Orioles are the best run-line team in baseball, so not the pass post on this program, but I couldn't wait to take Baltimore. Not on the money line. What I did was I let that thing climb, 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 and then I was able to take Baltimore, the best run-line team in baseball, I might add, plus one-and-a-half runs at minus 105. Come on, against a guy who hasn't started in two weeks. That's how I bet baseball, guys. I'm not laying big prices. I'm not laying 150, 160, because the more you lay, the more you have to win percentage-wise. It's it's tough enough to beat laying minus 110. I love the very small favorites, and I love the plus money in baseball. Sam Panayotovich on Cofield and Company. All right, let's look at the NFC East for futures in the National Football League. It sounds like you are kind of bullish on the Giants. Well, it's a it's a complex conversation to have, and I'm glad that we can have this because you understand the Dallas Cowboys are one of the most popularly bet teams in American sports. So you're never getting value on a team like Dallas, whether we're talking about win total, make the playoffs, win the conference, win the Super Bowl. They're always going to get you know good numbers and good respect from the books. So Dallas at plus 115, it's like, all right, I'm not doing that again. The Eagles, who have won the offseason so far because they acquired an okay wide receiver in A.J. Brown and they drafted a couple good kids in the draft, the Eagles at plus 180, like with Jalen Hurts, I'm sorry. So what I'm getting at is that the tax on the favorites, Dallas and Philadelphia, makes the prices on Washington and New York just too bloated and it's almost like you can pick your poison on whichever team you like now i'm not going to say the football team or the football group or the football conglomerate whatever they're calling themselves now i'm not saying they're winning the division at five to one or that the giants are winning the division at eight to one but steve i've made much worse bets over the years than taking a team like the giants you could find almost three to one on them to make the postseason for the first time in almost six years the new york giants are not going to be out-schemed, out-coached, out-thought. We're talking about a team that had to deal with, for six straight years, Pat Shermer, Ben McAdoo, and Joe Judge. An absolute clown college of coaches. So they bring in Brian Dable, and I think oftentimes coordinators are almost as important as the head coach. Mikey Kafka, who's been working under Andy Reid for the last five, six years, is going to run the offense. And Wink Martindale, who's been a tremendous defensive mind in Baltimore for the last 10 years, those are his coordinators. So that trifecta of Dable, Kafka, and Martindale, I would argue, is the best trifecta in that conference, or in that division, excuse me, in the NFC East. And you'll say, well, the players are going to decide. Yes, I understand. But the combination of the following playmakers in New York, I mean, you think about the playmakers they have, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, Sterling Shepard, and Saquon Barkley. There have been injury concerns, yes, and I know that the quarterback is a question mark. But I would argue that the lack 
of coaching and the lack of schematics have hindered the team more than the talent on the field. And I can't wait to see what Dable and Kafka do with all these weapons. I mean, they, they, they transformed that Buffalo offense. You give a lot of credit to Josh Allen, no doubt. But Brian Dable is going to do things and try things in New York that they haven't had since Eli was in his prime. Did you see that William Hill is putting up NFL team win totals against college school or college teams? Yeah, I did see that. You sent me one about what is it? The Giants against LSU is Giants, that pretty much even money? Slight favorite, minus one fifteen against LSU. And again, I'm stating the obvious here. There are seventeen regular season games in the National Football League. Uh, most colleges are going to max out, uh, max out, if I can speak, at uh, twelve. I was actually looking at Circa because they do those alternate win totals. Mm -hmm. And, look, most books in Vegas have the Giants win total at seven, and that's fair. And I think it's clear that LSU is still sort of trying to build back up. They had a tremendous year with Joe Burrow, and then everybody left for the NFL, and now they're back to being a mediocre team. But I was looking at Circa. They've got the Giants. If you go over eight wins, eight is a push. You get your money back. You need nine or more with 17 games. I can go over eight wins at Circa at plus 215. I like that bet because, yeah. I, look, I really I really think the Cowboys with Mike McCarthy are only going to get worse. And let's not forget they've, they've lost a lot of weapons on that offense. And Philadelphia is the offseason hero. The offseason hero is, is never a good thing uh, in the NFL. So I, I think there's room for either Washington or New York. I'm bigger on New York. But, Steve, it's also worth remembering there hasn't been a repeat champion in the NFC East since 2004. Wow. Brian Dawkins, Donovan McNabb, Terrell Owens, when the Eagles went back-to-back, -back, they won it in 03, they won it in 04. Since 2004, no team has repeated in the NFC East, and that tells you that you have to expect the unexpected, and if the Giants can stay healthy on both sides of the ball, I know that's more than half the battle sometimes, they can make the postseason. There, there is no way that 9-8 and eight is impossible in New York. Damn, you made a good case. You made a good case. I don't know if I'm betting it, but you sold me. Come on, uh, I was going the on. I was going the other way. It was pretty good. It was pretty. That was pretty good. All right, dude. Well, we're glad you're back. Get back into the uh, flow of things. You got a lot of good stories going on in in Boston right now. We'll see what happens at the trade deadline. I don't think they're. You don't think they're going to trade uh, Devers or um, or Bogarts, right? I don't think they yeah. trade Devers. The, the hot rumor right now is that the Mets want J.D. Martinez. And look, if, if that management group decides that they're not going to sign Xander Bogarts, you would think, and this is not me speaking for the Red Sox or Nesson, which you know is owned by the Red Sox, <laughs> right. but you would have to think if you're not going to bring back Xander Bogarts, you have to get something in return. Um, I would pay Bogarts and Devers, but this yep. is a different conversation for a different day. I think Martinez is available. Christian Vasquez is available. Nate Evaldi is available. And we know Bogarts is available. But this management group, man, you, you got to start keeping these good players. You let yes. Mookie Betts go, and then three years later, you might let Rafi Devers you, uh, go. Boston will not do Cubs East. They're not showing up to Fenway because it's a cool place. If you're you know, going to rebuild and be on a 75-win page for the next couple of years, that ain't going to work. Uh-oh, my boss is summoning me into his office You're right in trouble. now. i got to go. Yeah, see ya. <laughs> there he is. See you, Sam. See ya. Sam Paniotovich. We're getting him in trouble with uh, with his Nesson bosses. But uh, when we talked to Koken yesterday, he was talking about rebuilding. It's like, bro, it's the Boston Red Sox. The fans are not going to tolerate being sucky. And you have plenty of money to sign your core players. You build around Devers. You build around Bogarts. And you go from there. You're not, you're not the Pirates. 
and you're not the bull crap that the Cubs are pulling right now, which is completely outrageous. All right, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. As we go to break, good. Your question first. My question first, and I want you to think about this because I just saw it from our friend of the show, Mark Spears. He happened to post this. If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? One person that's alive, just one. Think about it.